Today's reading is Galatians 5, 1, 13 through 25. It can be found on page 1077 of the Bibles next to your seats, as well as on the screen. This is God's Word. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep on fighting and devouring each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfless ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since then we live by the Spirit. Let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Our gracious God, we come to you, and um, you know, there's just so many different experiences, unknown experiences, unknown moods, and unknown life situations that walk into this room and we sit next to each other not knowing each other's stories all that well necessarily and yet um, you know there may be great doubt there may be new doubt maybe maybe for some of us uh, we believed and had something very real long ago something that felt so true and real and yet now no matter how hard we pray uh, every time we look to you it just feels like where'd you go and where's the emotion that i used to feel in this relationship in this faith Others of us sit here, and it's it's quite the opposite. There's a, there's a newness to faith. There's a a sense in which we can't even believe we look to you as a real being in our life who does things and who um, acts as sort of a shepherd over our journey. And that's new for us, and it's glorious and wonderful, and yet scary at the same time. And others of us, you know, perhaps the shepherd analogy fits, and yet it's a shepherd who's helping us through some of the darkest valleys we've ever walked. And uh, we cling to our faith in these times. In all these places, we come with all these, this different baggage and different experiences, different gifts, and the beauty of how you've made each and every one of us, and yet the truth is, there's also uh, brokenness, the failure, there's, there's the way that life slips through our fingers, and, and we look at ourselves in the mirror, and we wonder, um, where did glory go? We're more of a mess than we care to admit. 
And then we come here and we're, we're here to listen to that story of grace once again in which you see broken and messy lives and you move towards them with your grace. And uh, we, we prefer to earn our way to you and you say, no, just rest. Rest and let me come in. Let me accomplish this relationship. Would you give us the faith now and, the, and would you speak to each and every one of us with that grace in such a way that our lives can be changed and that they can be more grace-filled flowing over into some of the pain and struggle and the roadblocks and obstacles we face. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Alright. So, uh, we have this question of the week. We were talking about spiritual fruit. Last week's question of the week. There's a question in there each week. You can answer it and tear it off and put it in the basket. Some people did that last week. And the question was, what's an action that bears fruit? Um... People went with, uh, so this is the thing, I think there, there's a few people who, uh, there's a lot of answers, a few people thought, I think they thought they were being so clever and unique. And they, and three different people wrote, planting a tree. You know, right? So we got you. <laughs> just like all of you, your sense of humor is not unique. It's just like, <laughs> two other people didn't know. That's, I like that answer, and that's funny. Um, and then there's all kinds of other actions. One person said, put, listed a few different kinds of actions in life that actually bear fruit. Like, giving. Like, just, that's an action that, that's interesting to think about, right? Someone else said a related word, forgiving. So it's forgiveness. Is that something that bears fruit? Has that been your experience? Actually, if, you, if you're someone who spends time in churches and you've got a lot of church experience or Bible experience, you probably ran across this passage. Um, and you probably didn't imagine that it was set within the, the letter that we've been looking at the last five weeks, if you've been around. Because it usually just gets kind of lifted out and, and dealt with in some of the beauty of it. In fact, just the positive part, the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. It actually exists within this letter that we've been dealing with. Now, if you've been following, think about that. It's existing within this letter in which the Apostle Paul is, sometimes it seems like he's just furious because this church that became a shining example of what the Christian faith does and what the gospel does, in that it was a bunch of people who shouldn't have been together, shouldn't care about each other, should just go with their differences and stay away from each other, and yet they were forming this tight, loving, serving, selfless community, all because of this message of grace that says, you don't make yourself acceptable to God in order to get his love and forgiveness. God has, through Jesus come, through the Messiah, through his death and resurrection on the cross, has made this giant statement to humanity that he will initiate and cross the big gap between us, and he will make us acceptable. And then we might wonder about, well, now what kinds of things will God's Spirit then uh, bring about in my life? As opposed to what things do I have to do, what list do you have to give me to become acceptable? Paul's amazed, Paul was a, is amazed at that message. He's seen it play out in this region of Galatia, but now some rival teachers have come in, as we've been talking about. They talk of as the circumcision group or the, the Judaizers. And basically they've said, you need to add on, you know, bless Paul's heart, he's got a lot of things going for him, 
just doesn't get it all right, and we need to add in the Jewish identity markers of circumcision, Sabbath observance, the kosher laws, in order to really know we're acceptable before God. So it turns out to be this, um, this addition, you know, Jesus plus. Jesus is essential, but not sufficient, we've said a couple times. And Paul knows, in his teaching, it's very clear throughout this letter, that this particular kind of addition always leads to subtraction. It's subtraction by addition. If you say Jesus plus something, which is very easy for you to just do some self-reflection, we've said, and, and just realize you're doing this in your life in many ways. Jesus plus something is a way of setting aside the grace of God and starting to distance yourself from it. So within that context comes this lovely fruit of the Spirit passage, right? It's kind of interesting to rethink it, and that's we're going to look at it. Um, but don't forget that that's where it falls within. Paul is quite furious about the you know setting aside the grace of God, and he talks about what they've done as, a, as sort of a bondage. So they have this freedom, but now they've used their freedom to go back into bondage. Almost imagine some prisoners just filing out of a out of that final last um, you know gate out into freedom, and then there's these people out there ushering them you know, into like a labor camp, you know, just, just, yeah, yeah, this way, this way. You know, this idea that you've used your freedom to become in bondage again, um, to, to these laws, to the, the sense of having like an entrance list or a morality code. And Christianity, the Christian faith, is absolutely unique. The unique part about it is that it doesn't come to you that way. But that's unique. It doesn't come to you and say, well, okay, if you do this, then we can talk. <laughs> Doesn't do that. It comes with grace. So, so, and how Paul has done this through his letter, just a very, very super quick summary, is he's, he's addressed this issue by uh, his own story. He basically used his story to, to combat this teaching. Then he goes into theology, and then he goes into biblical kind of academics with the first century Jewish world of Judaism. So he does kind of like theology and Bible study, and now the final thing is to, in great irony here, he, he, does, he deals with this issue by giving lists. Great irony, because that's exactly what the problem is, is that they love, they love these new lists. That's what they're becoming. You know, so now here comes Paul, and he comes with these lists, and, it, and they're, in a sense, they're terrifying. So let's, let's see why. You know, these are not the kind of lists that they were hoping for. Um, and, and, and here's what they do. They teach us about transcendent spiritual growth. And first of all, what we see that this transcendent spiritual growth is, is very much like organic growth. It's very much like, uh, what I mean by organic is like botanical. Like growth in the natural world. And this, the Bible loves to do this. The Bible leans towards this kind of growth. This is, these are the images the Bible uses. So when you have Psalm 1, you know, the beginning of the Jewish and Christian prayer book says that, um, that we are like, to see ourselves as like a tree transplanted by streams of water. Our leaf does not wither. Everything we do prospers. This is the idea, because, you, you know, it's, it's very botanical. Jesus, you know, even if, if, if you've not been around the church world at all, you've probably caught some kind of botanical organic analogy that, from, that Jesus has given. You know, he's always talking about farmers 
dropping seeds into soil. He's talking about this particular small kind of seed and how it flourishes a hundred times. He's got all these botanical analogies that Jesus runs with to try to bring truth across, spiritual truth. What is spiritual growth like? It's organic. It's like botanical growth, which means it's not, it's not going to be the way we like it because I think we tend to like things to work mechanically. We like to, to think of a mechanized kind of spiritual growth. You know, with levers and pulleys, and if we set them upright, then there we have it. The machine is working, it's operating. It's, but that's not how spiritual growth works. That's not how transcendent spiritual growth works. It's not automated, it's cultivated. Um, but you know, we always have, in our garden, we have a rather big yard in our house, and we always have this battle with the garden beds and the watering, you know, it always kind of catches up on us. Um, and we can't get around it early on this time of year. And, you know, we have we have a timer for like a watering system, but it's not foolproof, right? It's automated, you can set it, you can get it going, but what do you know, but something happens, you know, the, you go on vacation, you come back to dead plants because what? Because the power went out and it reset. You know, you, you, you go out there and you think it's all good and you kind of ignore it for four days and you go out and a bunch of the little things are plugged, you know? Wow. See, that's, it's great, you know, if your garden is completely dead, you're, uh, you're probably helped by some drip system and some, a timer. It's probably a good step in the right direction, but it's not foolproof. Automating it isn't foolproof because what's really needed is sort of this regular attention, right? This regular interaction, regular attention. Um, you know, you might have a neighbor who suddenly you're like, how did their yard suddenly start looking so amazing? You don't even realize a few weeks ago, I, what, what, what happened? They had that brown lawn before, or they, those plants seem to be just sickly. All of a sudden it's going, well, they hired somebody who comes out every week, right, and intends to things and has the expertise and deals with, oh, this problem, you know, I'm going to bring this to that problem, I'm going to help them, I'm going to do some pruning here, watering here, fertilizing here. It takes that kind of back and forth, regular weekly attention. And that's, what's, that's what transcendent spiritual growth is like. That's why um, we have all these images of botanical growth in the Bible. And if, and if our spiritual growth is, is like botanical growth, um, then it's going to be also slow and unnoticed. You know, if it's going to be like fruit, like Galatians says, the fruit of the Spirit, fruit comes slowly, botanical growth works unnoticed, um, you don't you don't look at a say uh, uh, you don't look at like a tree like a small sapling and say wow that tree looks so much stronger than it was a year ago. You might you might think well is it am I kidding myself maybe a little taller but you don't you don't immediately look and say oh yeah look at that a year's growth right there I can see it. A, a fourteen year old boy doesn't say um, you know you ask him like are you faster than when you were thirteen. I mean, it, I don't know. Do you feel faster? No, I don't, you don't feel anything. He, he probably is faster, right? He's faster now. But you don't know it until he gets in a race, until it's tested. You know, a tree, you don't know that it's gotten stronger um, until, you know, the next year comes a big windstorm. Comes in, and what do you know? But it, this little tiny thing, now it's strong. It's got this, and you say, well, it must have roots that have grown out. It must have a strength to it in there that's just really gotten... It's slow. It's slow. And you don't know often in your own life. You sit there and you go, I don't know if I'm, I don't know if I'm growing. And you might, you might not know until 10 years from now. You deal with something. 
you have to deal with something and it's finally tested. The, the things you're doing now to let God's grace into your life, the things you're doing right now to have spiritually open ears, the things you're doing right now to cultivate um, a connection to God and God's grace. Ten years from now, you go through something and you say, oh, no, I couldn't have couldn't have handled this like this. This would have wrecked me 10 years ago. And then you, you say, wow, okay. You don't, I mean, right now, you, you know, tomorrow, the next day, you don't feel stronger. And you're just going about some of these basic, daily attentiveness to God and God's voice. That's how spiritual growth works. And you're not going to get, you know, we don't like this, of course, because we want the results and we want it to happen on our time. But, you know, we, you know, we have the Bible on our phone now and we think now that's going to speed things up. <laughs> right? I'm going to grow fat. I've got my Bible on my phone, and it's not a bad thing. Right? But we, we just have to get away. This is hard for us. We have to get away from this, the sense that we're going to approach spiritual growth the way we pursue everything else. You know, There's all kinds of yard work I've been doing and every little different project. I don't know how to do it, but I just go to, I go to YouTube, and now I'm doing it. Now I've become an electrician. You know, I'm like two minutes of watching a video. Anyway, we imagine this is, you know, we're going to YouTube our spiritual growth. Right? <laughs> we're going to Instagram it and microwave it, and it's just not going to happen. It just doesn't work that way. It takes time. You know, it takes patience. Regular practices. Silence. You know, space for silence. How did you feel during, you know, almost a minute of silence earlier in the service? Did that weird you out? Right? Where you just kind of like it, you kind of sweaty and... And jittery silence. Who knew? And that's part of it. There's regular practices where you can get, you can kind of get your heart checked, and you can drink deep, and they need to happen regularly. And this organic analogy basically tells us that these kind of regular practices will be mysteriously used by God's Spirit to grow you in a huge, in an incredibly powerful way. They're very powerful. There's a, um, there's this. Um, quote by Thomas Merton, who's a monk, who many, many of you probably have heard that name, Thomas Merton. Um, somebody was asking him about change, and, and, and this was his answer. He said, how does an apple ripen? It just sits in the sun. And the student um, who, who heard this, you know, went away and reflected, and years later wrote, a small green apple cannot ripen in one night by tightening all its muscles squinting its eyes and tightening its jaw in order to find itself the next morning miraculously large, ripe and juicy and red. The apple just sits in the sun. It is naturally positioned to receive the daily nourishment it needs to ripen. This is similar to how we mature in the fullness of God's life, except that we are not naturally positioned like the apple. Can you get an amen on that? <laughs> we must place ourselves where we can receive the light of God. I mean, how many of us right now in our life, we are acting like that, like an apple that is trying to just squint and just generate our growth and flex and tighten and pump ourselves up and we find it's completely counterproductive. You're further away from God as a result. So transcendent spiritual growth, it's going to be, we're going to find more meaning from botanical analogies, from organic growth, than we are any kind of mechanical or automated growth. But it's also uncomfortable growth. This is point two, just two, two points, right? Doesn't mean it's a shorter sermon, it just means it's two points. <laughs> two points. 
Un uncomfortable growth. Transcendent spiritual growth is going to be uncomfortable. I, I don't know about you, but I get uncomfortable uh, when the Bible throws passages at me like this uh, in verse 21, where it gives this list, and then it says, I warn you, the end of verse 21, uh, page 1078, I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. makes me terribly uncomfortable. And is Paul, you know, a lot of people would say, you know, here we go again with Paul. Paul just seems he's always angry, you know, he just, you know, he's the one who messed it all up, right? Like, he just, he just always sees this religious guy, and he's got all this, but then, you, you know, you flip over into Matthew, the book of Matthew, you have Jesus saying, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, evildoers. What, what's going on here? Well, I think that they're kind of actually in the same realm. Because the Galatians are people with credentials and who are chasing after religious accolades. This is the problem that has come into the Galatian region of churches, and they're all about lists, and when you are all about your credentials with God, when you are all about your lists and your accomplishments and the accolades, when you turn your relationship and your spiritual growth into that with God, you will absolutely find that what you have been doing is with all your energy running further and further away from God. And suddenly you find that, you know, you've been actively fitting into this bill of what, of what Jesus says. I, I never knew you. And what is the argument in that passage? Well, we've been doing all these amazing things. We've been working our butts off for you. Right? Mm -hmm. Isn't that interesting? These, you know, these lists, they help you. These lists are uncomfortable. They dig deep in and they say, basically they make you identify and work and, and figure things out. And it's very uncomfortable, especially for the kind of people that the Apostle Paul is writing to. But believe it or not, they still exist today. People who are kind of get wound up about religious stuff. Right? And these are, so listen to these lists. So he's, there's two different lists. He says, the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. And just a, a note of translation is that you could, you, you could very much say that the word acts is the same as the word works. And sinful nature is more accurately spoken of as the flesh. That's so it's an analogical word. So often translators take another step and, and say what's being communicated by it, a sinful nature. But, but it kind of helps to know that because the other list is the spirit, right? So if you know it's flesh and then spirit, those kind of, you can see the comparison. And it's works of the flesh or acts of sinful nature. So the list goes on. Here we go. There are obvious sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, Selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. So that's the, that's the first list. And I want to point something out about this list. Um, Paul is being really sneaky here. Because what he has done is he has dumped right into the, right into the list of, of common pagan sins. Obvious pagan sins that the religious folks of Galatia would never be involved in. He's dumped right into the middle of it. Church sins. The sins of church people. 
Did you catch that? I mean, it's like, oh yeah, idolatry, witchcraft, oh, we would never. We're involved in orgies and drunkenness. Um, but then here it is. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy. He's basically listing, itemizing the things that are going on in this community of, of very wound up religious people. <laughs> What's he trying to do? Well, uh, there's actually, I don't know, uh, Cindy, if the PowerPoint is able to pull up. There we go. So, uh, Paul, I, I feel like Paul could very well have. Um, if he had the tools, he would have done a little breakaway diagram on the side. Because what he does subtly throughout this passage, if you study the words closely, is he has he has these different words, and they're all they're kind of lumped either on one side or the other. And so there's the spirit, and what comes out of the spirit in your life, the word fruit is used, and then that arena is the arena of freedom. And then there's this other, you know, and there's a great divide between this. There's this other realm, like I said, it could be called flesh or sinful nature. And in this realm, isn't it interesting, he doesn't say the fruit of the sinful nature. He says the works, or acts, the works of the sinful nature. And this is the realm of bondage. He lays it out like this. Um, and, and, you know... He basically leaves, without really driving this point home, but he leaves it very open for them to make the obvious connection, as he's been dealing all through this letter with the law and the works of the Jewish law. Where does that fit? Let's pull up the next slide. Where does the law fall into this, in their use of the law, that's driving them away from God's grace? Where is Judaizing, you know, adding to the faith in Jesus alone, where does it fit? The obvious answer is it fits on the right-hand side. It fits with the sinful nature. This is not something they want to, they want to acknowledge. This is not something that, but basically, you know what it's saying? It's saying there's, um, there's no way around this conclusion. The religious strivers of Galatians were no better than the pagans doing all their things in the dark that, that are so horrifying to these fine religious people. And Paul's not afraid to just lump it all together with the kind of church sins that they've become knee-deep in. And, and, and why does that hurt the Galatians? Because at the heart of what they're doing is to be able to say who they are better than. So to say, nah, I mean, you're not even, you know, you're not, not better than the, the other Christians who aren't getting circumcised. You're not even any different than the pagans who don't do any of this stuff. There is a particular bondage to the, to the irreligious life and some of you throughout your life have felt that, and it's part of perhaps why you've ended up here. Is that what looks in at first like freedom, you find yourself, uh, you know, just in your addiction and in your in you know the works of the sinful nature, you find yourself just in bondage. You're trapped. There's also a particular bondage that Paul's alluding here to the religious life. And this is uncomfortable to do business with. Um, now the other thing, the other list, if you look at the other one, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such thing, there is no law. Um, yeah, the, the screen can come down. This list, it looks wonderful, and it, 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 
It looks, it looks very delightful, in fact. And yet, it's, it's almost just as excruciating and uncomfortable to do this this way. Because all of these things, you look at them and you say, they give you no clue as to how you're supposed to generate these things. Right? Like, you can't take this list and you can't say, you know, okay, here it is. It's up on the refrigerator. You know, it pops up as a reminder on my iPhone in the morning. And it's, oh yeah, do all those things. Okay, get that done. Get to the end of the day, you're like, did it. I had more joy today. I had more peace. Patience, I just because I just saw it on the list and I checked it off, right? It's, actually, it's the most frustrating kind of list that exists. These people clamoring for lists, agitating for the telling me what to do religiously. And Paul says, oh, let me give you the exact list to do. Love. Right? And Jesus said a few things very similar. Love. Joy. Pete, you know, it's a terrifying list. You judge yourself against that list every day. Feel like you fail every time. And you know what? Part of this is Paul doing the exact same thing that Jesus did through many of his teachings. So many, so many people, it's easy to take Jesus' teachings and say, oh, look, here's the, here's the cleaned up list. You know, the Old Testament has some, some lists that Mary's are comfortable with, but Jesus gives us this new clean list about loving your neighbor and all this stuff. And, you know, there's, Jesus basically says all these amazing teachings about how great, how wonderful and loving you're supposed to be. And he even says, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. That's a clue about what he's trying to do with his teachings. It's just what Paul's trying to do here. To humble us. To finally have us saying, how, how on earth am I ever going to do this? This is impossible, this list. You know, you might walk into some, some relative in the Midwest who goes to church and they've got this crocheted on their wall, you know. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, what it... it this, you get, this is a fiery list. This is, this, you do business with this, it's going to cut you deep. Right? And why? Because if you're going to do every single one of these things, you're going to have to let go of something. That's hard. Give me, a, give me circumcision any day. Right? <laughs> that's, I mean, that's kind of... No, you know, let's, can we edit that out? <laughs> Seriously. Give me the Judaizing list any day over having to stare this humbling list in the face every morning when you wake up and go to bed and look at it again and go, God help me, <laughs> tomorrow I'm going to have you better by your spirit. And that's actually, now we're getting some right? Okay. So you want more love, you're going to have to let go of trying to change people. And you just go through the list. What do you have to let go to accomplish this? If you want, you want a, more joy, you're going to have to let go of complaining. You want more peace? You've got to let go of being right. You want more patience? You're going to have to let go of your plans. You want kindness? You're going to have to let go of your self-absorption. You want goodness? You're going to have to let go of your greed. You want uh, faithfulness? You're going to have to let go of that idol of comfort in your life. You want, uh, you want gentleness? You're going to have to let go of your ego. You want self-control? probably going to have to do business with your pride. with this list. And that's exactly right. Right? One last uh, picture of this. Um, there's an old, old writer, uh, G. Campbell Morgan, who, who told this story about walking through a graveyard in Italy and he saw something incredible. He saw um, a giant marble slab that was in front of somebody's grave. And at one point, 
an acorn had settled in under that, kind of next to and under that slab. And, you know, this, this incredible sight that he saw was that this acorn, you know, maybe 600 years earlier, had, had started to grow under there and had gotten to the point where it had cracked the marble slab and now there was this giant tree right, growing there. Um, that, is, that is a picture of the inevitability of, of the botanical, organic, slow growth of the fruit of the Spirit in your life, of God's Spirit in your life. You know, the, you know tiny little acorn, thousand pound marble slab, who wins? It's obvious, right? Smack down on that thing, no contest, right? No contest. The acorn wins every time. That's how, you know, that's, are you ready for that kind of, are you, are you able to, it's not easy, it's not going to be easy. That, you know, are you that acorn? How uncomfortable, right? To try to make your, to kind of find your way to grow in the dark, you know, with all that pressure, very uncomfortable. It's really nothing you do, it's just this, it's just this thing that happens. It's not, it's not fast. Oh, it's not fast at all. Hundreds of years. And yet it's exactly the kind of growth that Paul is setting our sights on here, growth and grace. Let's pray for God, you are, some of us here, we say, oh, I'm not growing. And you're growing, you're growing us so much, we don't even see it. There's things that feel painful, there's things that feel bad in our lives. There's things that we feel like, or we say, oh, we tell our friends, oh, this toxic thing is happening over here. And yet, it's, it's like fertilizer. It's, it's like you're watering us in good soil. It's like sun. It's all generating growth. And we don't even realize it. Would you please humble us? Would you humble me? Would you humble every person here? That we might just look to you and have the attitude of trust and faith. May we be humble about what we are bringing to the table in our relationship with you. And may we just let you set the table before us. And pour out your goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. And may we let you, if we would just let you, may we do business with our idols, with our busyness, with the speed at which we want things to happen, with our plans and our ego. Would you do business so that we might grow? We look to you for our growth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm -hmm.